Hello, everybody, and definitely welcome back to part two of Zero Credits supplemental reading on the Snyder Cut of Justice League. That is Zack Snyder's Justice League. As always, my name is Henry. And my name is uh, John, Reactive John. And together we're Henry, that we don't say that. Together we're going to be continu- continuing our foray into the Justice League, Zack Snyder's Justice League cut. Uh, this is part two. We're going to pick up at part four of this movie that's called Change Machine, chapter four. That's where it's going to begin. But before we get into that, I just want to say, if you haven't watched Jet Snacks... <laughs> <laughs> If you haven't watched Zack Snyder's Justice League in its entirety, I highly recommend you don't listen any further because we're going to spoil the heck out of it. We're going to dive in every detail and and ruck up the muck therein. Take it away, boys. Take it away. Bake them away, toys. Uh, If you have not seen Zack Snyder's Justice League, please do so. And also, more importantly, if you have not listened to the first episode of this podcast, what the hell are you doing? Uh, Who would listen to the second episode? Even though I I listened to the second episodes of of Behind the Bastards, it's uh, L. Ron Hubbard series first because I couldn't find the first one. You know, Google Podcasts is not a great way to search for podcasts, especially if you're a fan of podcasts with hundreds of episodes that aren't necessarily sequentially named. Yeah, it really isn't the best, but yes, this is this is week two of our Zack Schneider coverage, which means I'm just going to start this early. Yes, uh, I actually opened my beer before we even started the episode, so we are now. I can't help being in uh, being in supplemental reading announcer voice, uh, but we are in media res, as they say. Which is in the middle of media. No. no. (laughs) (laughs) We have been watching media. We've all, everything is media. We are picking up right where we left off. Change Machine. uh, To catch people up, there was a Batman theme, not a theme, a bat signal in the sky, and they had to go check it out. Commissioner Gordon was handed a picture of a bat. And now he's on the roof. And now Batman's here. They're talking to Gordon. This scene is virtually unchanged. Yeah, I I really... This was a great example of one of the scenes that I thought was entirely Joss Whedon's doing. And that Now, there are certain things that are set up in this scene, such as they have to go to Strikers Island. Not Rikers Island, but Strikers. Strikers Strikers Island. uh, Of course, named after the bad guy of uh, X2. Yes, of course. Uh, of course. Uh, they uh, they had to go to Strikers Island. You know, the DC Cinematic Universe, uh, or at least this movie, Zack Snyder's Justice League, loves to name things that are real places, but just kind of change the name. They made Strikers Island, which should have been Rikers Island. And of course, the place where Steppenwolf sets up shop, I think this is actually a little bit later in the movie, but uh, it is an unnamed Russian town where, and I quote, that nuclear accident happened 30 years ago. Not Chernobyl, no. Uh, But just some other Russian town where a uh, quote-unquote nuclear accident happened but this scene has a lot of of stuff going on 
in it, yeah, uh, but a, it ends in that with that joke that I really thought was a, a Whedon ad, but was not. Oh yeah, they all disappear, and Flash is left standing there with Gordon, and he says, "Oh, they all just kind of left. That's kind of rude." And then he also flashes out of there. The one moment of of humor that Snyder allowed to be in the movie. Oh, that one moment of humor. I I actually had. Similar to how we talked about last time, I had a different read on that scene now that we know Barry Allen more as a person. So I actually enjoyed that scene a little bit more, even though I think, I don't know, it it seems like a lazy joke to be like, oh, the fast guy is the last one left. Yeah, it's it's the uh, the obvious joke to make. And, you know, sometimes in a movie you can lean into those a little bit. And I, I don't begrudge the movie for doing that. I think Cyborg adds a little interesting take to this scene because I don't think he was in the original. I don't remember at this point. He might have been. He probably was now that I think about it because this is the moment where he shows up to be like, you know, I'm going to help you all out. And he he and Diana share that that knowing nod about their conversation. So never mind. I take back everything I've ever said. Yeah, he showed up. Uh, but what's wild is I believe in the Whedon cut, this was maybe his third scene. Right, exactly. So there's not enough time to feel the weight of him showing up and understanding that he's making a decision to be actively here and help everybody out and save the world. My favorite scene of this movie, John, is the scene where, um, I don't know if you know these characters, but Batman, Wonder Woman, Cyborg, and The Flash walk upstairs. Uh, Yes, they do choose to walk upstairs. Yeah, they get to Stryker's Island. Batman goes, Alfred, where are we? And he's like, oh, under Stryker's I Island. want to talk about this because this <laughs> seems I, I genuinely do. There's a couple of things I want to talk about. They laboriously talk about in a group the fact that they're going to Stryker's Island off the coast because these points converge not on land, but on Stryker's Island, you know, not on land, but on an island. And I think we maybe talked about this a, a little bit either off air or on the podcast, it but was, they laboriously the talk about it being Stryker's Island, and then the first scene, Batman says, "Alfred, where are the? Uh, where are we?" Like this feels like a mistake due to the fact that this movie is four hours long. That maybe that was an insert in case they didn't have the explanation about Stryker's Island. Anyway, made me very upset. Please continue. Yeah, no, I hear you. It, it is pretty dumb. Um, I, I think maybe. There's a little bit lost in the weeds here. Uh, Maybe it's like, oh, we've been traveling underground for so long that we don't know where we are. Um, But the thing is, you cut from them leaving to them arriving. Like, there was no scene in between those two. It was a direct cut. And so the audience should be able to follow that they went to Strikers underground because they were using the air vents. Because that's what the demons were doing. They were retracing the demon steps. It's like, you're, you're, you know... Treat your audience with a little bit of smartness. Um, But also, we do get this great scene of just all of these great superheroes taking the stairs. Yeah, taking the stairs while I believe pretty awesome butt rock music plays. Oh, yeah. They, uh, uh, it's weird. weird. I guess they are all together now, uh, other than Superman. So it's interesting that this is their, Aquaman's we're all together. Either. Yeah, true. It's weird that this is their glory thing where it shows them like suiting up and, and like Walking they, upstairs. they get out the thing and walk up some stairs. 
And I get that, you know, Snyder has always, he always establishes things before he comes back to them. So he's establishing the fact that there are these stairs. And so anyone who's going to, you know, potentially try to escape will have to go down these stairs. So that's fine, I guess. But it's just, let's walk up some stairs. I mean, it's a classic uh, move in both cinema and theater called Chekhov's Stairs. Yeah, if you introduce stairs going up, you have to go down them. Now, a very interesting change that I want to discuss, but not a lot of detail, is that when they get to the top of the stairs, they get to this rickety bridge. Only uh-huh. in the Snyder Cut, <laughs> the bridge isn't rickety. Yeah, it's just out. Just the middle section is out. And the Whedon cut, there's like, we can't all go at once or something. You know, we don't know how much weight it can hold. And then the Flash jumps forward first and they're all annoyed at him because like, oh, he he just jumped the gun and now the bridge is going to give way. And none of that is present in the Snyder cut and also in the Whedon cut. What what is what What did any of that serve? Why would you make the bridge rickety? We gain nothing from it other than Batman's most thoroughly perplexing line, uh, I exist when it's useful? Yeah. So weird. I don't know weird. what that means. He, he says, I exist when it's useful, and then he he bat grappling hooks across. I believe that's in response to Cyborg. What a strange line. What a strange scene to keep in the movie. Yeah, but hey, you gotta hit four hours somehow. What I I mean in the Whedon cut, you you edited the edited the movie to be exactly two hours long with credits, and you kept in the scene with them crossing a rickety bridge. I just don't get it. Obviously, there's something there you and I, as laymen, aren't getting because it's clearly very important, right? Well, after they cross this bridge. <laughs> yes. A good through line for the Flash is like, so what's the plan? Is there a plan? I feel like we should have a plan. Um, and they don't have a plan. Or they have, I don't know. It's been a while. Look, it's been two weeks. But uh, I, I goes- did rewatch the second half of this movie while it's constantly fretting over my dog. Oh, yeah? Yeah, I also had a fever all day and probably still do it's been a weird day it was a very odd circumstance to watch the last half of this movie for a second time uh so i i want to interrupt here just to say watching the snyder cut i had uninterrupted stress-free days i watched it twice in two days and 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 just really took everything in and absorbed it covering the snyder cut has been nothing but stress sleepless nights and a new dog. And and it's just a weird experience. I've been waiting so long to talk about this movie. And now it's just kind of like, oh my, I'm just tired. I'm tired. Let's go new school journalism on this and bring our own personal experiences into the mix for a second. I feel like maybe the release and subsequent watching of the Snyder Cut might have been some of the last moments of purely free time you and I may ever have again for the rest of our lives because I, I had the freedom to watch the Snyder cut three times in a week and get pretty drunk every time I watched it. (laughs) Um, and now, now we have dogs. 
Since then, we've both acquired dogs. I have acquired thousands of new antibodies uh, that are destroying my system as I speak. And I've been going through a series of grueling technical interviews. Yeah. So it's it's much less easygoing <laughs> talking about the Snyder Cut, this thing we've been trying to do forever. The greatest trick Zack Snyder ever pulled was he got us excited to talk about his movie, and then all we got to do was watch it and then struggle to talk about it. Right. Uh, I feel like all of my thoughts are, are incoherent, but... um. All of their plans go awry when Silas speaks up to save the janitor and Steppenwolf goes to to, to attack him. Oh, uh, the, the, yeah, yeah. Once the, yeah, Steppenwolf lost his coolest line. He did. He absolutely did. Yeah. Um, the janitor, not a janitor. I don't know who. Just some guy says like, oh, please. I, I mean, Silas family. has a history of relationships with janitors, so you're forgiven for thinking it was a janitor. It could be a janitor. Whoever it is says, um, "I've you know, please, I've got a family." And he says, instead of saying, instead of saying, "Why does everyone keep telling me that?" Great line. He says, great line. That he says, "Then you have weakness," which doesn't hit quite as hard or the same way. Once again, playing up Joss Whedon's strength of giving villains really cool lines a la the entirety of James Spader's dialogue in Age of Ultron, um, but not making a good movie, uh, a la the rest of Age of Ultron. I, I really have noticed that Joss Whedon's kind of soul strength is in creating, like, good villain lines, because uh, I, I've been doing a lot of Marvel stuff. We just finished WandaVision and such. Um, and Age of Ultron is a bad movie, and every like piece of Joss Whedon writing for a character that isn't a villain straight up sucks, but everything a villain says is just really cool. So it's a shame we lose that uh, Joss, not Joss Whedon, uh, Zack Snyder movies, uh, not much on the witty, the witty repartee. And I think that this movie, uh, in this case, is the less for it. But I don't know. I just wanted to mourn his line. Uh, I don't think we need to belabor it too much. And I will also mourn the line that my um, my axe is still wet with your sister's blood um, because, yeah, uh, that was a really cool line. But now we've got this exchange where he tells the pair of demons to back off and Steppenwolf says, this one's mine. And she says, I belong to no one, to which I feel like Steppenwolf needed to interject. I'm not saying I own you. I'm just recognizing your strength and, and I want to fight you myself. Let's he not also get says, it twisted. I'm not a misogynist. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, I want to destroy the world. I, I love the reality of woke Steppenwolf. Yeah. I, I love the idea that like he wants to conquer 50,000 words, worlds to please his lord Darkseid and his right-hand man Dasad and Gr Granny Good or whatever. Granny uh, goodness. But, Granny goodness. But he is woke. <laughs> he, he, he's he's very certainly woke. woke. He listen. If he wasn't so busy killing all those Amazons, he would really applaud them for the society they put together. He thinks it's really cool, but listen, he's got a job to do. Yeah, yeah, no, he's very he, like he trips over his words. He's not. He only speaks to the one guy. He only speaks to Dasad. Oh, he he only speaks to Dasad. I so there's like two things. I don't. I actually don't think that the. 
I don't think that the fight in Strikers Island is all that interesting for the most part. Um, so maybe we can, yeah, we can gloss over a few things then. Um, just some Whedon ads where the Flash isn't unsure about how to be a hero. That whole thread is gone. That is an awful, awful addition that Joss Whedon had. The strange, belabored, like platitude filled conversation about how to get in and save people and do whatever and someone's like just save what i it's batman i assume the batman voice so it's gotta be batman i think that that was like we get a lot of and i think in this fight we get a lot of what makes barry allen young it it shows you why he's young barry allen gets shot in the leg by a parademon and reacts badly to it because guess what he's a young guy who's not used to getting shot yeah, I, I would go on a limb to say he's never been shot before. Yeah, he he. I I love that Zack Snyder kept that in because Zack Snyder seemingly had the sensibility that if a like nineteen or twenty one year old kid got shot in the leg, he'd freak out about. It. Whereas if Batman got shot, he'd be like, "Do it again. <laughs> send send yeah. me to hell." Yeah. yeah, can you can you shoot me in the other leg to balance it out? <laughs> Yeah, it's. Uh, I think that that does a great job of showing his youth and experience. I don't think we needed a weird platitude-filled seven-minute-long scene where they like beg him to do anything. I think it really weakens his character in the Whedon cut. I hated that. Right, exactly. And uh, also, another moment that I kind of was looking forward to seeing um, in anticipation, hoping that I was correct, uh, but the flash in the slow-mo scene where he pokes the sword back into Wonder Woman's hands and trips, he does not land on Wonder Woman. He lands yeah, on Yeah, and I think we stairs. can both agree that that was, it's a shame. Another Joss Whedon ad that we have to be sad was taken out of the movie. Uh, it's just really funny and horny when he lands on her boobs. And we just have to admit that that's Oscar level directing and <laughs> filmmaking. And it's just a shame being, that's not in the yeah. movie. Just the, a shame it's not in like, the movie. If I wanted to see that, I would just watch any anime. You know, I don't need. To yeah, if, if I to wanted see to that. see, if I wanted to see someone awkwardly fall on an unconscious woman's chest, I'd watch Tenchi Muyo. I'd watch anything uh, that that is an anime. I wouldn't watch. Uh, I don't know something I enjoy. Uh, so yes, uh, rip in peace to the boob scene. Uh, it it shall not be missed. <laughs> shall not be missed. Um. But rest also in piss to in the pe- boobs. <laughs> also rest in, in peace, rip in peace to the uh, the the one cool Batman sword line that oh, you like no, so much. Oh no, I'm so, so I really like that. I think about that line sometimes and how good it was. I yeah. really so, like that line. In the Whedon cut, for those of you who don't remember, um, Wonder Woman and Steppenwolf are fighting with sword and axe, and Batman in his Nightcrawler goes. Sorry, I didn't bring a sword. And it just starts machine gunning parademons down. It's even better it's even better because he says, sorry guys, I didn't bring a sword. Because I feel like it fits in this in this Batman's character to think the idea of fighting with a sword is ostentatious and pointless. I <laughs> I like the idea that that this like big traumatized Batman would make fun of people for fighting with swords. I just liked yeah. it. Yeah, no, it, it was a good line. I will give Whedon that. And, you know, Batman could have been 1% more quippier, so we could have that line. 
in there because he, he banters with Diana throughout the movie. Yeah. Yeah, they actually have a relationship in this movie, unlike in the Whedon cut, where it is much more heavily implied that they have a relationship, but they don't. Right, right. Um, All right, and so the end, the the climax of this scene, the last thing I would want to talk about is this is, between the two movies, this is the one moment where I feel as though Whedon made an edit in response to what he saw in the Snyder Cut. I, I didn't get this feeling often. Um, but the water is rushing in and rushing, rising up, and they're climbing in the Nightcrawler, and they get to a safe enough height, and Cyborg opens up the cockpit, cockpit and flies away. Mm-hmm. In the Snyder Cut, that's the end of the scene. He flies away and we're left watching our heroes on the Nightcrawler and then it transitions. In the Whedon Cut, Flash is given the line, did he just bail on us? And that feels in conversation with the original cut. Yeah, I would say that if I had seen that and just saw Cyborg fly away, I would feel weird that characters were not asking questions about why he just like suddenly flew away because it is kind of ambiguous and so as as a person who's recutting and reshooting a movie you're gonna point that out instead of changing it i guess because that might be the cheaper option you kept the same effect of the scene cyborg still flies away leaving the rest of the team on the nightcrawler but now you're pointing it out as to hand wave it like that's kind of weird right without actually solving the problem that that was kind of weird. I mean, Joss Whedon, like, when he makes movies uh, and TV shows, he just kind of wants to be like, hey, guys, we're not taking this uh, too seriously, are we? Ha, 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 prima nocta, weird prima nocta joke in a, yeah. in a, in a Marvel movie. I don't know. I, I feel like, and we're doing this in our own, like, very uncredentialed, dummy-ass way, but there... Like in literature, right? We know that both translations and adaptations are conversations between the translator slash adapter, adap- adaptator, potator. Uh, and <laughs> like it's it's a conversation between the author and whoever is translating or adapting it. Uh, and I think that we are like teasing out like places where Joss Whedon and Zack Snyder are conversing on their preferred way is to tell a story. I don't know that right. there's anything interesting there, but I, I think that you're right on the money. That is one of the most, like, sometimes, like, if you read, like, a like an Italo Calvino novel, like, sometimes in the footnotes, the translator will, like, have a question to the author that was unanswered. And I feel like this is the best example of that, where, uh, where Joss Whedon, like, genuinely wanted to ask Zack Snyder, like, hey, is this how you wanted this scene to end <laughs> right no I, I i wholeheartedly agree um it, it's the moment of the movie where the membrane is thinnest because it's like yeah he's he's it feels like he's asking zach schneider hey did cyborg he just bailed right <laughs> like he's gone yeah the th- like you know we're not gonna pick up that thread yeah i i can appreciate that uh i don't know i didn't think we'd be bringing uh I didn't think we'd be bringing literature into the Snyder Cut really at any point, but that's appreciated. Uh, I well, I don't know. I, I like the reframing. It's not often we get to bring an Italo Calvino uh, in conversation at all. 
Yeah, nor should we. Uh, I don't know. Okay. I wonder if Italo Calvino, I don't know. Uh, his books come off as kind of creepy sometimes, but it's been a while since I read one. I don't know. There's Look, like a guy on a moon who wants to get fucked. Look, if if on a winter's night a traveler. I see your point. Uh, you know, <laughs> Umberto Echo is one we can agree on. Not a creep. Uh, works were just very, very long. And speaking of very long works, let's get back yes. to the Snyder Cut. Yes. Step in, uh, the name of the f- rose of the DC Universe. Yes. Um... That I'm assuming that's a work by Umberto Eco. Yeah. Prague Cemetery, like, Name of the Rose. I like Name of the Rose because it's about a monastery. Anyway, speaking of things that are about a monastery, Zack Snyder's Justice League. Take it away. Steppenwolf talks to a box. Oh, I love this scene. So this is a scene that took... It, it, it's not. It's not fair to say it took me two viewings to understand it. It's fair to say it took the completion of the scene for me to understand it because it was very confusing what was happening at first, but then it became clear. The mother box projected into Steppenwolf's mind a vision of him landing on Earth and him smashing the the axe down in a very, very shot-by-shot way that Darkseid did when he landed, revealing... A symbol in the ground that it, only if you you participate in the grand uh, fucked up lore of DC would you understand. John, take us away. Yes, uh, of course. I, the DC expert among us, the one who has enjoyed DC the longest. That is, of course, the anti-life equation, which is, take it away, Henry. The anti-life equation, which the movie explains is the key to dominating all free life, all free will and life and everything. And uh, take it away, John. Yes, and he found it on Earth. So this is, just to be clear before we talk about this too much, the idea, the concept of the anti-life equation completely gone in Joss Whedon's work. Like, not... Not even not in Dark it Side at all. Brought up and Dark Side maybe only brought up by name once or twice. Yeah, now Dark Side is definitively a character. Uh, but right. the anti life equation, I love it. I love this scene because Steppenwolf discovers the anti life equation is on Earth, even though in flashbacks we saw that Dark Side went to Earth. D- hit the ground with his mace and saw the anti-life equation but then i guess like we said in the last episode just got beat up so hard he forgot it's on earth you ever get your ass handed to you so hard you forget the name of a planet for a thousand years i can guarantee you 100 goddamn percent if someone punched me in the face at a panda express for the rest of my life i would remember where that panda express is and when it happened like i without a doubt in my mind if i if this was the first time anyone had cold (laughs) cocked me in the face with no prior warning i would remember that for ever and the idea that dark side like doesn't even seem bothered that he forgot it was earth is insane to me 
Which, to, to further incentivize you to remember that Panda Express, it's also where you you, you, you forgot your wallet. Like, something very, <laughs> yeah, very it's valuable like you're, to you're, you. <laughs> it's like your friend came up to you and he's like, I've discovered your wallet with your social security card, $122 in cash, and all of your debit and credit cards in it. Where was it? It was at the Panda Express where you got punched in the face for no fucking reason. Like, the idea that you would, number one, forget that you lost your wallet, maybe, but also not be able to combine the two events in your mind is is insane to me, which is, of course, a testament to to how bad David Thewlis on a CGI bodybuilder <laughs> uh, fucked up Darkseid. <laughs> Imagine the the call should have gone something more like this. <laughs> the Panda Express where David Thulis <laughs> punch, punched me in the face. I would remember forever. Yeah, so so, so um <laughs> Steppenwolf rings up the sod and he's like, hey, um is Darkseid still interested in his wallet? Cause I <laughs> I think I found it. And then Darkseid shows up, he's like, where's my wallet? <laughs> And Steppenwolf goes, remember that Panda Express where <laughs> David Thulis punched you in the face? Yeah, do you remember that one? I, I think you might have forgotten, but that's that's where it is. This was about and, a thousand and, years back. Do you remember this? Yeah, I mean, I guess it's fair. It's a thousand years. Uh, he's he's conquered a hundred thousand worlds by his own admission. Admission. Uh, one thing I love about this scene is you can tell that Steppenwolf, he's not a dumb guy. He's had, he's been making schemes to try to get back in Darkseid's favor because when he tells Desaad that the anti-life equation is on Earth, the subtitles would meet, would lead you to believe that there was simply a pause and then Desaad said, are you certain? However, I am certain that Desaad sighs. <laughs> <laughs> pauses Are you and then certain? the 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 amount of time so the amount of time between him saying the anti-life equation is on earth and Desaad saying are you certain is very long but Desaad seriously goes because ah. <laughs> yeah, um there's no paperwork on apocalypse except for when people think they have spotted the anti-life equation <laughs> so now he's got to go get form 22b <laughs> and like take that out and fill it out in triplicate and submit it to dark side he's like i wish you would have told me this not on a recorded line so i didn't have to fill out the paperwork but now it's going to be a a whole thing if i don't do it so are you certain? Where did you see the anti-life equation? What yeah. time did you see the anti-life equation? Okay, thank you. And then just Darkseid gets on the phone. Yeah, Darkseid hears somebody say anti-life equation three times and he shows up. <laughs> are, are people when he says the, the anti-life equation? <laughs> when he says the anti-life equation is on Earth, it's like he's asking for Desaad's manager. <laughs> It's the passcode to get straight, you know, past the the, the robo collar to a direct agent. Yeah, it's it's incredible. Uh, I do feel uh, like we do need to move on rapidly because part four is stacked. Part four has like three major acts where something huge happens. I feel like we probably do need to move on from the Desaad thing, even right, though it's right. really, so, so, really, so, really funny. 
So Cyborg uh, reveals that he has the last mother box. Uh, so presumably when he flew away and, and uh, Flash does not ask that he just bail on us, presumably he went to his grave and dug up the box to bring it to be like, I've got the box. And then we get this really interesting scene of all the heroes standing around the box. And we talk about this box for a long time. And what I really, really appreciate is we get the history of how the box came to be in the possession of Star Labs. Yes, I don't remember that part, but I'm assuming it does happen. It's really, it's kind of the neatest way to do exposition I've ever seen. Because um, Cyborg starts with like a little hologram. Oh, yeah, that's really cool. We're flashed into the past and then he's just walking toward the camera while explaining the story. Kind of like a, if the, if it was more low budget, it would be like a true TV kind of, you know, reenactment kind of thing. But the fact that it's in a high budget movie makes it look cool. Yeah, and it, it starts because it flashes back and he's walking through these like European, this European castle. And he says, it all started with the Nazis. And you're like, okay. I'll yeah, listen. Yeah. I'm on board. Yeah. Like th- this box has a history beyond what Di- <laughs> Diana told us earlier. This is cool. Yeah. This is, uh, it's very much the, uh, it's the companion piece to Diana's story told in a similar way where you get to see it move through time to the present through his father using it on him. And then of course, like all good storytellers, he holds the, he holds the twist to the end. We, as the audience know, dramatic irony, uh, but he tells everyone else that his father was the researcher who used the mother box on him last. Cyborg right. is nothing if not an incredible storyteller. Yeah, no, he, and Ray Fisher, again, commendable job. Um, just gonna. Best actor in oh. this movie. Seriously. <laughs> just gonna, like, yeah, Ray, just Ray Fisher is so good. Return. But so the scene of them realizing that they can use this change machine, this box, to potentially bring back Superman. I feel like made a lot more sense in the Snyder cut because they did my favorite Star Trek trope where someone says something very complex and then another character comes in and uses a very understandable metaphor to explain it. I found myself nodding and going, yes, I get this way better than how it was explained before. Well, I mean, let's briefly compare the analogies. In the Whedon version, they said, you telling me this has the power to destroy a planet? It also has the power to create a planet. With that kind of power, who knows what you could do? Maybe bring back Superman? Uh, Whereas in this one, it's very laboriously laid out. Like, it is something that can like reverse the transformation of death into life, life into death. It, it's something where the like inexorable movement from like forms of matter mean nothing, which is, which is right. why the mother box can like turn people's worlds into copies of apocalypse. Like they're, they can just like redo matter. They can turn smoke into a house. Right. You just reminded me of the analogy that, that clicked so well in my brain Anyone can turn a house into smoke. You just need a match. But the mother box could turn that smoke back into a house. And it's like, thank you. This is the Star Trek metaphor we needed. Yes. Uh, My favorite part of this scene, however, is when Barry Allen, Ezra Miller, The Flash, uh, all three names, says, uh, we're all thinking the same thing, right? 
I don't want to say it. And then guess what? Nobody has to say it because Cyborg creates <laughs> a very majestic Superman hologram to to really bring home the fact that they're talking about bringing Superman back. Uh, once again, Cyborg is an incredible <laughs> socializer. Like he's he really knows how to how to socialize, how to tell so, stories, how to read a room. So I counted because um, I wanted to see if they were going to do this like an Easter egg. Uh, Superman's name is only said twice this scene, uh, but where it would have been said the third time is where Cyborg shows the hologram. So they resisted the Beetlejuice kind, you know, the Beetlejuicing of Superman's name. Uh, but I really thought they were going to do Superman, Superman, Superman. <laughs> the very next scene is them bringing Superman back to life. Um, I'm not a good filmmaker, so <laughs> I'm glad they resisted doing that. I mean, uh, one thing that I think is is kind of interesting in myself is when I was watching this, especially the Whedon cut, I was like, well, this seems overly complicated. This seems I, yeah, like a I bit. Wrote, yeah, I, I it just it seems like a weirdly complicated way. way yeah. The most convoluted. Yeah, okay, we, we spoke over each other, but we said the same thing. <laughs> Yeah, we're both very tired. But keep in mind, in like 92's Death of Superman and Birth of Superman, like where the black suit comes from, Superman came back because of like a Kryptonian rebirth matrix, which was apparently much more complicated. I, I read some DC in the past and was like reading some some stuff about the black suit. I I think the Kryptonian rebirth matrix made a Superman clone but it was kind of superman i don't know i i he barely read, understand dc marvel yeah. is complicated enough and marvel is written for 12 year olds yeah i mean comic th- this felt like a comic book scene where they're like trying the writer is convincing themselves that it makes sense by having yeah. the characters laboriously go over it kind of again and again to be like all right i think we covered it from all angles yeah uh, I don't know. I, I feel like this version of that scene makes a lot more sense. However, I know that going into part four at the end of the last episode, I said that part four uh, was where my opinion on this movie took its sharpest turn. And I said there were three major things that happened in part four, but I lied. There's like an after credit sequence of part four, which is my most hated part of this entire oh. movie. I... Yes. Maybe not my most hated part, but I, when watching the last part of part four, was so apoplectically angry with what they chose to do with the character of Martha Kent, and I guess by extension, the character of Lois Lane. God, so shitty. So, we are... Halfway through this movie at this point, and a scene that happens in the first 20 minutes of the Whedonverse uh, takes place where where Martha and Lois have this heart-to-heart scene about dealing with the loss of Clark Kent. And um, it in the Whedonverse, it happens at the Daily Planet, and like Lois is still working. Um, but in the Snyder Cut, it's revealed that Lois has not worked since Clark died. And so you get this heart to heart between the two and you feel like, okay, you know, the healing process can begin now. But then it's revealed that Martha Kent 
was Martian Manhunter the entire time. And this is, I feel like even that description kind of undersells the emotional weight of this conversation they're having. Not only do we lose the weird, like, being afraid of people taking her leads or whatever, like, we really flesh out Lois Lane as a character in this conversation with Martha, but Martha Kent cries, says things about, like, life and grief that you would feel like watching this scene that only the the mother of world's greatest hero who has died would know. Like, she really sells it and then to turn around and have the door close and have Martha Kent turn into fucking Martian Manhunter? What? Yeah. Why? So my feelings about this is like you do one or the other and I feel like if you're going to have Martian Manhunter in you got to find a way to put him in and I guess this was a way to put him in for some reason but then there's the after credits scene that He's also in, or not after credits, but the last scene of the movie that he's also in. So it was kind of like, why do both of those? You really don't need both of them. I don't understand. And I still don't understand. Part four has has the most things I don't get about why Snyder, like, I don't get the dark side forgetting Earth thing. And I don't get why Mar- Martha Kent had to be Martian Manhunter right then and right there. It makes no sense. And I, I have, have a, I have a note add. in part four. I have a note in part four where I say, oh, no, is this a bad movie? Uh, part four is part four is the biggest bummer. Yeah, it, it really is. But I, I, I think we should move into into part five. I think that we're going to have a lot of time later to actually discuss our issues with this movie. We don't need to litigate them right now. Right. So part five, that's the end of part four. We're done with it. We're into part five. All the king's horses. Yes. All the king's horses where you had to drink when people said all the king's horses, which I uh, don't remember where that is. But it starts with digging up the corpse of Superman. Right, so we, we've discussed how to put Superman back together. Now we got to do it. So let's let's rob the grave of Superman. This is a good scene. Uh, Diana and Arthur added to the scene for some reason, and they they find they have a common bond. Um, but what really really stands out is just the uh, the banter between Cyborg and Flash really shines in this section. I, um, I think that's the, something you can see in 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 writers and directors a lot is insecurities about certain things. And Joss Whedon chose to make their interaction very awkward, but also racial, which is not yeah. great. Not, yeah. not great. But this is, I found this much more genuine. Yeah, no. Um, just the banter between Cyborg and Flash, where Flash is like, oh man, Diana, like, do you think she's into younger guys? And Cyborg has the great line, she's 5,000 years old. Everyone is a younger guy. Like <laughs> it's just so cool. He's got his like hoodie up, and the only thing you see is that like red glow illuminating his face, and he delivers that like devastatingly funny deadpan line. It's so good. It's 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 really good. I I really bought that interaction between them. And then this whole like sequence of they're gonna break into Star Labs, and Barry Allen is gonna be the face. Of, the, you know, the truck to sneak Cyborg in. Why do they need a truck? Because they're bringing a corpse. He's bringing the corpse into Star Labs to put By into the, the ambionic <laughs> fluid. I, 
you know, the, the, the details of a plan might escape you during the execution, but there's, you know, they Flash has a great scene of Aquaman, like which hat looks better. Oh, I thought it's that like, was the, the, the two interactions between the Flash and Cyborg and then the interaction between the Flash and Aquaman where he's having a pick between hats is funnier than anything Joss Whedon put in the yeah. movie. Those two scenes are very, very funny. And it's like, it's right at this point, you're feeling this, the team start to click together, not just like, you know, they all stand for the same thing, but now their personalities are starting to gel a little bit. Yeah. Like they're having fun a little bit in this mission to bring Superman back to life. This is a note that I had my second time watching it through, but I like that through this four hour movie, you see various levels of polish and various levels of cohesion that this team has. Like they start, they're kind of all over the place. They're all separate when they're fighting and they're not all on the same page when they're in strikers Island. Uh, but right. then when they start to work together to get to the Krypton ship, they, they're kind of playing off each other's strengths at this point, like any good improv team, they've had the time to like work with each other and have a witty repartee back and forth. And like, it, I don't know. I think that Zack Snyder did a really good job because these characters are like using their skills in conjunction now. And it's like really working. I, I do have to point out if they wanted this to be flawless, why did Cyborg wait for the ID to come up with a neg like a. I'm- a, a- <laughs> Why didn't he yeah. just hack it so that it would work the first time? That's so interesting because twice in this scene, they have to tell Cyborg to hack shit. And I feel like with knowing what you know about Cyborg, I feel like he'd be on deck to have already hacked shit already. Like right. when they get to Star Labs, and he's like, clear this place out. And he like he says on it and he clears it out by creating like an alien contaminant warning or whatever. But like, wouldn't that already be part of the plan? Like, I feel like if I had someone's cyborg skill set, I would have written in them into the plan already. Yeah, yeah. I mean, no one had to tell him to give that $100,000 to that, that person in need. I feel like Cyborg would have been more on it, like you said. Yeah, I feel like you know. Cyborg is a real subject matter expert on hacking shit, so you really should have written him into the plan. Right. But I did like the, the, the touch to evacuate the building. And then there's this scene of kind of redemption between the the father son you know dynamic between Silas and his his son Victor um where he he figures out that it's a hack and he's trying to call it in but then he sees he sees his son walking by with all the other people he doesn't know like he might he probably recognizes Batman uh but a bunch of other strangers but he sees his son and he's like all right I'm going to let this happen because I trust my son. Yeah. This is their first moment of bonding. Yeah. This is like the, the, in in a movie that's not really about them. This is the, the, the climactic moment of their relationship. And, and the last time they see each other alive before what happens later. Yeah. Um, But it, it, I did kind of want to th- see what would happen if Batman wasn't there. Because I feel like Silas saw Batman next to his son and was like, all right, I- I'm not going to touch this. Yeah, it's like uh, 
It's like if your kid walks into a room and he's got like a bunch of weird bikers with chains, but he also has George Clooney. You're like, ah, okay, gotcha. Right. Yeah. Like George Clooney. As long as yeah. George is here, I'm sure. I'm sure it's on the up and up. Like I recognize him. I know he's a good guy. He uses like the same guard on his beard as he does on his hair. Like George Clooney is a good guy. His wife's a baddie. I know what's up, but if it was just like the Flash and Wonder Woman, I imagine he wouldn't have had the same reaction. Batman has a lot right. of cultural cachet. Yeah, so that's my joke for that scene. <laughs> what if we did every scene that way? What if we said the one thing from our notes we wrote because we were <laughs> we were dumbass? Well, okay, that's my that's my joke for that scene. Let's, <laughs> let's move on to the next one. I did appreciate the. Uh, just I know that the I fail back. <laughs> I know <laughs> what what a what a soulless and depressing way to uh to characterize the way that you took notes. Uh, but no, I I, 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 tracks. <laughs> I I really liked uh it's silly, but I really liked uh Cyborg's I'm already dressed line when they had to like that switch really into good. their I don't know, yeah. Cyborg's he's just a cyborg. The the most He's dressed up he gets is he puts on some Under Armour hoodies. Uh, yeah. But yeah, moving on. That's the joke that I had about that. <laughs> <laughs> moving on, we get Lois in bed and then multiple shots of a pregnancy test and then her picking up the pregnancy test. This scene, the way this scene is written is for idiots like me who missed the shot of the wedding ring. <laughs> I don't think she actually like, picks up the pregnancy test. I so she, she opens she the, the drawer at the end of the scene. Oh, okay. Uh, but she, I think that it is kind of on the nose that the brand name of the pregnancy test is Force Majeure, an act of God. Come on. Uh, I think th I think that's just an homage to uh, Downhill, a movie that came out last year with. Uh, oh, you Julie mean Louise Downhill, Christ. an adaptation of the movie Force Majeure. Who the what? fuck do you think you're talking to? <laughs> what? I didn't know that. <laughs> Who the fuck right. do you think you're talking to? Uh, I, I, all the lowest scenes are like... I've seen people. every movie about patriarchal abandonment. All the lowest scenes are like, here's what Lois is up to. Back to bringing Superman back to life. I don't know <laughs> if you know this. He's been dead. Uh, I will point out that they didn't save the fucking photograph again. <laughs> yeah, they they, uh, they they did. I think it's interesting because uh, this is I actually have a lot emotionally, uh, not from myself, but like emotionally speaking about I, I thought that this like uh, intellectual montage between Lois finally accepting that life must move on, finally accepting that Clark Kent is dead and finally moving on today is her last day that she needs to mourn him and that's true but not for the reason she yeah. thinks like she is finally with the help of martha kent slash martian manhunter like you see bringing superman back to life and then her not i mean you know grief lasts forever but her giving up her this stage of grief moving on to something else. And I think to give Zack Snyder some credit that that's like uh, a really graceful, sad kind of clever thing to do is show a character finally getting over someone being dead when cruelly 
they about to be alive. Yeah, it's like a weird irony, like a weird dramatic irony, because while she's moving on, the rest of the plot is moving forward to bring him back. Yeah. Yeah. I Poor do like Lois that, Lane. I do like that the Flash's electrical charge only builds up when he gets near the speed of light, so it's not something he can do easily. Um, I don't know why I like that change, but I, I, I do appreciate that the visual lightning we see is not literal. Yeah, the, uh, yes, he needs to build up like, I don't know, time electricity. He does set up something that is important in this movie. And I think actually important for a kind of wingnut conspiracy theory I have about this movie and that he says time gets weird. Uh, when he yes. approaches the the speed of light, which he needs to yeah. do to activate the mother box as it, as it touches the uh, the Kryptonian amniotic fluid, uh, I, I yeah. think that that's I have a it, thing to say about that later. Uh, yeah. But yes, time got weird. The box reversed. Cyborg had his crazy visions. Well, it, so it's funny because in the Whedon verse, Cyborg stresses that it, he. You need to touch the box exactly when it hits the water. Um, otherwise, it won't work. And it, what's funny in this version is that, like you say, the box reverses. <laughs> so it's like I, he, they didn't really need to work on the timing. He could just keep going until the timing was right. Um, I have a thing to say about that, and we'll save it oh, till later. Okay. Um, so the visions that Cyborg sees are so great because uh, they're the nightmare. They are they are Batman's dream from Batman versus Superman. Uh, they are what will happen. The Mother Box is warning. This is what will happen if Superman is revived. And yes. uh, it, it's shown in a way that's confusing, just like the nightmare dream from Batman versus Superman, and just like a certain scene that we will talk about uh, later. Um, and they just sort of happen in kind of an intellectual montage way without explaining to the viewer what they're seeing because at no point does the sh the movie explain the mother box is showing cyborg visions of the future but then after they're done the kryptonian ship says the future is now the present yeah the future has taken root in the present uh, and I, I don't think it's I'm not sure that it's the mother box showing him those things. I, I think that it might be the ship. It could Sh be the I ship. Know. I could Kryptonian be the ship. technology is, is difficult, but I feel like what it is is the ship saying, if you do this, this is what will happen. But it also might be the mother box saying, if you do this, this is what will happen as a warning. I don't know. Right. No, I think you're absolutely right. Uh, I attributed it to the mother box, but he's plugged into the ship. So that only makes sense. And the, the ship, ship clearly doesn't want him to do it because the ship says, don't yeah. do this. You're making a mistake. A in fact, Cyborg says no. Oh, that's so good. Totally gone from the Whedon version. But the no go dichotomy is, I think, pretty yeah. clever. Cyborg because Barry Allen's no. young. It's clearly time based. So he knows he's going to go. And he doesn't think that someone's just going to say no to him. Right. So, so bringing Superman back to life was a, was kind of an accident. Yeah, Cyborg was telling him, don't do it. We can't bring Superman back to life. And then uh, who is anyone to stop the Flash when he's got a good head of steam? Like, no one could have stopped. It, it's really cool because, like, 
when Barry runs by them after like building up a significant charge approaching the speed of light, like you see people have started to turn to look at the hallway, but only a little bit because once he starts going, like it's unbelievably fast. Like no one could have been able to tell him not to do it. Right. It would have been impossible. He's, he's reaching near, near the speed of light. There's yeah. no time to react. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, but yeah, but Superman what, gets, back, gets brought back to life. Insane. Yeah. And, and he loses his shirt again. Um, Somehow actually, he keeps the pants, loses the yeah. shoes, loses the blazer, dress shirt, and tie. <laughs> and tie. A whole combo. Um, and, and oddly enough, the scene plays out very, very similarly to the Whedon cut with the, the added addition of we know why the cop is there. Yes. Uh, we know also, the the, cars... and the the mother box does not touch the the water. Like the mother box lifts out of the water before being touched. Once again, right. important for a conspiracy theory I have later. But yes, okay. The Superman fight um, largely unchanged. Yeah, the, a few details like the army getting involved was was strange, and um, of course, seeing a man floating in the sky near the Superman memorial, um, your first reaction is to grab your gun. That. I guess was more endemic of police relationships of non, non, non stressing de-escalation training. <laughs> yes. Uh, that's, you know, the movie is making a statement. Um, but yeah, this fight is largely unchanged except for the fact that like Batman shows up way into the fight. Like what is he doing that whole time? Yeah. He, he seemed to be hiding there. behind that Humvee. And, and, he just and, like came um, out from behind the Humvee. Is like, okay, I'm here. The gauntlet works, which is great because there's no way Batman could survive a fight against a Superman who's not pulling his punches. Yeah, especially if he doesn't have his cool suit. I, I don't want to like take any sides about this whole like Batman versus Superman thing, but like, right? I don't know. You're a Batman fan. I'm a Batman fan. I think we can both agree that like. I think it's a ludicrous debate because Superman yeah, would just blow a hole through his chest. There's a lot of uh, a lot of of um, explaining you have to do to defend Batman, whereas Superman yeah. is not as much. The the thing you always have to do with Batman is assume there's a great degree of pre-planning and environment choosing that he has at his disposal, which to Batman v Superman Dawn of Justice's credit is taken into account in that Batman chooses where he fights uh he pre-plans he pre-prepares yeah. but like it's the only way uh, yeah but if they were to just like fight fight uh, Batman's yeah. dead sorry he's dead yeah I don't have a lot of complaints about this scene I, I feel like it was left largely untouched because it it's a, a good scene the only real change is that um John Williams' Superman theme doesn't randomly play for no reason during that. <laughs> that was <laughs> did that happen in the Whedon version? It absolutely did during this fight. Only so it was like done, weird. It went like dun 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 dun. Like it, it had like a weird sinister tone to it. I don't but like, like that. the music. The music they chose for the, the 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 Snyder cut was way more menacing than invoking a weird cinematic past that this movie doesn't have a connection to. 
Yeah, uh, these are these are not the those Superman movies. What a dumb choice, Joss Whedon. What a dumb, creepy choice from a dumb, creepy and, man. The only theme that plays in this movie is the Wonder Woman theme, just because it rocks. Um, but yeah. the Whedon cut also had the uh, the Batman animated uh, series theme play when Batman shows up at the Bat Signal, and that was cut out of the Snyderverse, the Snyder cut too. And I think for good reason, because again, this is not that Batman, you know? Like, yeah, I yes, did not even our, notice that. These are iconic musical stings that are, are, are attributed to both of these characters, but like that you can't just that that's that's milking nostalgia, whereas the Wonder Woman theme being in it is just cool just because like it was the one from the movie. Yeah. And she's the absolutely. same character. Yeah, I I think that that fits. I liked the Superman fight quite a bit just because it like, I don't know, in this version of the movie, it just felt right because there's a weird threatening alien presence uh, and they just have to deal with it. Yeah. And like there wasn't there wasn't any build up like, oh, you know, if you if you come back to life, you're going to be missing something. It's like, well, no one has ever come back to life before. So how the fuck would you know that? Yeah. So um, weird. Yeah, it doesn't make any sense. I, I like the no preamble and the no buildup and the fact that Cyborg, a product of alien technology, views Superman as a threat and auto fires at him. And Superman, who also views Cyborg as an alien threat, fights back. It makes sense more so than, oh, Superman doesn't know who he is. It's like waking up a puppy. <laughs> yes. From a nap to take them outside. They don't know what they're doing. They're they're literally rediscovering life every time they wake up. Yeah, they, they've only been alive for like three months and sometimes they don't know to poop. Also, I think my puppy just woke up from its nap so it's making a lot of noise, but you have to ignore it apparently. Yeah. What yeah. a what a shame. But yeah, Superman fights good. I like that uh, it shows that he has parity with the Flash as far as speed goes. I think that's really cool. Uh and then well, uh, oh yeah. go ahead. How else how else do you make Superman menacing than being able to track the Flash? And and those eyes, Ezra Miller, great phenomenal facial acting of just like what the fuck? Yeah, and I like that it shows that Superman, even in, like, Flash time, is a little slow, but that's still really scary. Right. Uh, but yeah, uh, Superman fight, pretty good. Big change from the Joss Whedon version is Joss Whedon uh, inserted a line where he says, Alfred, bring out the big guns or whatever, which means bring Lois Lane out. Really disrespectful of Lois Lane's journey. Really shitty. Absent from this, Lois Lane's just there because she's mourning her late fiancé. Which makes a lot more sense and feels more natural. And it's really good. You know, um, him flying off with Lois because he remembers Lois is, is, yeah, that works. And it's not a plan by Batman because Batman thought maybe he could just reason with a, a, a superman but superman's enraged you can't you can't reason with that like you can't reason with an angry pretty, superman i'm sorry yeah everything tracks pretty naturally and then this chapter ends with um a payoff that i wasn't even looking for um but throughout the movie thus far silas stone and his his lab partner whose name i sadly do not remember uh, they've been talking about this 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 laser 
for multiple scenes through multiple chapters. You're about to look at the hottest thing on Earth. Right. Which was a good line from that little lab assistant. I don't know why I said little. That's really demeaning. From that lab assistant. Um, and it finally pays off in a way that shamed me. Because <laughs> <laughs> I thought, I read the actions of Silas Stone when Steppenwolf it, it goes after the last box. Silas Stone locks himself in a chamber with a laser in the box. I thought he was trying to destroy it. And uh, he activates the labor, laser and sacrifices himself, and the box is left unscathed. And, I, and I, I wrote, literally, he died for nothing. But then the movie was like, Henry, you're the stupidest person watching this movie. Because they've shown that the laser superheats things and superheats them to become the hottest thing on the earth. And so he superheated the box. And it even mentions that you can't explode the box because they absorb heat. So, like, they, 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 the movie is teaching me in the moment what this scene means. And I'm not smart enough to pick it up. And so they even say later that he sacrificed himself to put a mark on the box so they could track it. Seconds after I, I wrote that note, I was like, oh, fuck, this movie knows what I'm thinking. I mean, I, I think that I can totally agree that you're the dumbest person watching this movie. No, I'm kidding. I, th- I thought the exact same thing. And I think that the movie makes it very clear that that's what it wants you to think, is that he's yeah. trying to destroy the box. Uh, and then they make it clear. And then you realize, like, all the times in the past when they've talked about, like, this material reacting to this laser being the hottest thing on Earth. and even then, in my notes, I was like, why do you have to be in the chamber? I'm like, you have to be in the chamber so Steppenwolf doesn't kill you before you turn the laser on. Right. Yeah, he he makes the – Silas makes a decision to close the door when he sees Steppenwolf, like, axe through the, you know, the door into the room. So he's like he, – I, I think his original plan was maybe to step outside of the chamber and hit the button. But once Steppenwolf was there, he's like, that's out of the window. Yeah. This is the only thing that matters. And it, it's a very tragic death. And th- it, it, there's a weird thing when we see a superhero in a movie get their powers and learn their powers. They also have to ultimately learn the lesson you can't save everyone. Yes. And this is Cyborg's you can't save everyone moment. Yeah, exactly. Uh, what a What a sad way to end part five. You know... I didn't like Silas as a character, and I, I probably still don't, but that's kind of Silas. In, in every medium that he's ever been in, he's always sort of the neglectful father who, who might kind of reconcile toward the end. But I think he's better off being dead than he is being alive. You know, I can think of a few people for whom that's true. No, I'm kidding. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I... I pretty much know nothing of cyborg as a character but i i think that this was a, a pretty natural point where his for his father to go out right and so we get into the final chapter of this movie um barring the epilogue chapter six something darker I actually feel like there's a lot of this chapter we can kind of skip. Not skip. Th- this chapter is is home to a very large, sprawling fight that doesn't have a lot really to say about it. Right. I, I mean, just a note. My first note for this chapter is there's a straight hour left in the movie. Yes. And uh, thir- so 
now I know about 30 minutes of it is this chapter and then 30 minutes is the epilogue. Exactly. Um, but, but you're kind of right. There's not a lot to say about this and that this is the part of the movie with, where this usually happens with supplemental readings uh, where I stop taking notes because I'm just enjoying the ride. And, and honestly, chapter six is what the previous five chapters has been building to this entire time. And I mean, I think it's something that's just endemic of the art form we've chosen to pursue because I don't think that there's a lot gained by us, like, re-deliberating what has happened in an action scene. Like, it's just something that's, like, interesting, fun to watch, not a super fun thing to recap for the most part. Even the the siege, uh, the the superman remembering things seen on the farmstead oh. there's not too much to say there like it's different from the weed and cut there's no weird cgi cornfield martha kent right actually it, shows that, up and he gets his memories back but there's not a lot to yeah. say about this chapter I, I mean they go into the house which is a good change and he gets a shirt but there's still kind of a weird scene where he's feeling corn and he's like getting memories from corn and that's fine. And he visits Alfred and that's kind of neat. But that felt like more of a cool thing to tease about the movie than actually like, because look, Superman has super hearing. Like he could listen for where the most fighting is, the most noises and just go there. He, he wouldn't technically need to visit Alfred. Yeah. That's kind of like a, an empty gesture for the audience. Yeah. I, I feel like Superman really could have easily put that together himself i think that's something that's important if we do want to go by through this movie point by point is, is superman returning to the kryptonian ship or the that is yeah, his, that, his birth ship and getting the black suit which is which is interesting you, it's really tough when a movie reaches its conclusion and its climax because it's not really great radio to talk about it yeah it's something you need to experience but like in that scene where he revisits the kryptonian ship you've got these voice clips of russell crowe and the guy who played john kent whose name i don't know dennis quaid sure <laughs> you, you get his two fathers interspliced which honestly did not produce a powerful effect in me um it just didn't like that that's a man of steel monologue that you're intersplicing together in this moment of him going to go kick Steppenwolf's ass the action sequence that happens is really neat there's a lot of neat things happening but like you said it, it, it's more of a spectacle it's more of a result of all the things we've been talking about the only cool thing to talk about i feel like is the biggest change uh, beyond there being no Russian fucking piece of shit fan, not piece of shit. They're probably decent people. There's no Russian family. Yeah, there there is no Russian family whatsoever. Uh, and you know the the biggest change, of course, being the, the lack of a red sky over the entire <laughs> final car chase, that, flying no. chase. Jamie, my wife, actually pointed out there was a red sky. Batman fought under a red sky before he took the dome down. And that's where Joss Whedon got the idea for a red sky. And I was like, oh, my God, you're right. Yeah, there was a red sky for about five seconds. And then he uh, 
I don't know. I, I find all of this for the maybe, I don't know, 20 minutes of this movie is dedicated to the weird car chase, uh, flying chase bug fight thing for it to not take place under a red sky is actually way, way better, way more interesting. I know that's one of the first things that came out about the Snyder Cut, but I actually uh, loved it. Like it made the yeah. movie way more watchable. It was cool. You could actually make out what was happening. Like there was contrast between the colors and the darkness. It it was fine. But the biggest crime of the Joss Whedon cut is that it, it sideloaded the Flash with saving this Russian family instead of the Flash literally saving the entire fucking world. Oh, dude. So the the I think the two biggest changes if we want to talk about the final confrontation are just the 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 timbre of what happens between the Justice League and Steppenwolf. And uh like Victor Stone Cyborg's involvement with the unity and what he actually ends up doing so different because like in the Whedon cut he's like trying to force them apart instead of waiting for them to synchronize and then hook into them uh and then <sighs> they fail they they fail they they, they fail they they, yeah. fa- they fail and then it does the thing that DC, I guess, does well, which is weird time shit. Well, so the the coolest part about the Flash, so everyone who see every the 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 um the layman's explanation of the Flash is that he's super fast, but that's really not it. He he bends time when he runs. Speed force, speed force, and, and so when he gets near the speed of light, time gets weird. And we see this in just the most beautiful cinematic, just just way possible, where he's literally running on nothing and recreating the ground that's going to push him further as he runs. This sequence is so just just perfect. This sequence is a crime for Joss Whedon to not have included because up until this point, like what Batman or what Bruce Wayne says is you're fast and Barry Allen says that's an oversimplification when he actually like taps into his powers and does speed for shit. What what he does is like reshapes reality. <laughs> yeah. By like tapping in the speed force and he also like a scene that existed only for character development in the original cut of this movie, which is him talking to his father, who's been wrongly accused. The Barry Allen's life in this movie is like the wrong version of reality has unfolded. He should have a happy family life, but his father is in prison because he was wrongly in prison for murdering his mother. And then like, when he's reshaping rally, he's just simply restating the things he told his father he never wanted to hear again, because in the moment he heard them as empty platitudes, but now he realizes they're true, racing towards the future, changing the future as he wants to do, like, like make your own past, make, make your own future. He, he wants to change the future and he wants to change his past like in a in a meaningful way by getting a criminal justice job and freeing his father but as a superhero he can do that as well and by like repeating these things that felt like empty platitudes fully realizing his power this is the best part of the movie yeah and that was robbed of us 
So, so I, I mean, a little known fact about me is The Flash is one of my favorite superheroes of all time. It really doesn't matter the iteration or who The Flash actually is. And, and it's for moments that exist in the comics that never quite make it to mainstream media, like being able to to, to vibrate your molecule so fast you literally run through a wall. Things that just don't translate well to a visual medium for one way or another. And, and finally, on film or, or in a digital format, there's finally a moment that pays homage to just how cool The Flash is. And it's Zack Schneider's Justice League, The Flash literally running back in time, recreating heroes as he runs past them. We see bones being reassembled and sinews reconnecting, like literally recreating life as he runs backwards to, to push Cyborg with this huge amount of charge he's built up. Finally, we've got a moment that's like, the Flash is one of the coolest characters to ever exist. Yeah, and, and what is the direct result of that? Is this like brutal... <laughs> A uh, rebuttal of Steppenwolf. Like you see Steppenwolf win and then only through the powers of Barry Allen slash the Flash do you see like the universe where the Justice League won and they win like decisively, brutally. Oh, yeah. Like they, oh. they send Steppenwolf's head back to Darkseid, which is once again something that was robbed of, of us from the Whedon version because there was dumb like Parademons feed on fear whatever because yeah. the coward's way to end a movie is to make the lackeys kill the bad guys so you don't have to feel bad about the good guys they cut his goddamn head off and at this point if you're i mean if you've tracked the snyder verse from man of steel to batman versus superman to now this movie the villain dies in every one of these movies mm-hmm. they kill the villain in every one of these movies murder death by superhero is a part is is crucial to these movies so a, a version of this movie where parademons pull him apart is just it's the antithesis it is the complete opposite of what the movies are supposed to be yeah these movies end with death by superhero unquestioningly and and you know they off the people in question usually deserve it. <laughs> oh, for sure. Steppenwolf deserves to get his head cut off. And kind of like we've watched Steppenwolf this entire time. So seeing his head get sent back, we empathize with him a little bit. But he's been a major dick throughout the entire movie. <laughs> yeah, you know, he's like a soft-faced guy who we imagine might be woke. But, you know, he's killed a lot of people. As woke as he was, he did he did kill a lot of Amazons. Yeah. A score of them. Yeah, you can be a woke murderer. Oh, wow. I There's a movie. Um, wait, th- isn't that... I don't know. Let's not bring it up. Um, <laughs> what is it? Promising Young Woman? Isn't that the premise? No, she doesn't murder people. The trailer's kind oh. of misrepresented what that movie's about. Well, maybe I'll watch it now because I thought she was a murderer. And I was like, murder's never okay. Yeah, murder's um, never okay. Dexter, murderer who kills murderers. Yeah. Come on. Right. And that really brings an end to part six. You know, Steppenwolf's head is, is mailed back to Darkseid. And um, 
the sod, the little fucking worm that he is, is like, I told you he would fail. <laughs> what a kiss ass. What a what a sucker Desaad is. And we get this we get an epilogue that one third of it is perfect. Oh yes. Uh absolutely. 33% of this epilogue is actually exactly what we need. And I think we've talked about this before. Zack Snyder doesn't believe in after credit sequences for good reason. I think that they're bad. I'm not a fan. Uh but there are somehow three after movie sequences. What do you even what do I you don't I don't even know what to call it. The, it's so, like a post denouement that movies have to right. have now. Is they're like well, after the ending, after a relaxation a relaxation of tension, we all we have to have this like additional catharsis. What well, the weird thing about the Snyder cut is that this first third of the epilogue is like I, I called it perfect, and that's not a misnomer. It sets up for a next movie and it wraps up the current movie fine. Um starting like we, we have a scene with Dark Side and Granny Goodness and Desaad saying, like, this isn't over, we're gonna use the old ways. And then Cyborg reassembles the voice recorder and and uh his father has this long monologue while we see scenes of Denouement play out, like um, you know, Superman and Batman restoring Martha Kent's farm to the rightful, rightful ownership, and th- that kind of funny line where he bought the bank, and like we just see every character's. We see Barry Allen getting the the the, the his foot's in the door, and his dad being so proud of him, and, and that prison scene, which actually like you know kind of pulls at the heartstrings a little bit, just because I don't know. His dad's super proud of him. You know, he's earned his, his father's respect. But like we see all these little denouements in the setup of the Justice League. And then it ends with Superman pulling his shirt apart to show the black and white suit. But in that classic Superman way. And that's when the movie should have ended. Yeah, I mean, one of the first images we get in this movie, as your wife pointed out, is the Superman grief banner, the black and white Superman grief banner over like some kind of bridge in London, I don't know. Tower uh, Bridge London. Tower Bridge. And then the one of the last scene we see is Superman exposing like his new S in the same color scheme as the the flag of mourning, but this time as a symbol of hope. Right. And, and that, I mean that's been his thing the entire time and it's, it's just so iconic. You know, the soup the 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 the, the Clark Kent removing the glasses and tearing the shirt open. And that's a great way to end the movie. The problem is it keeps going for another like 20 minutes. Yes. It keeps going for two epilogues, which are not as good from that Superman scene with no transition, with no, any sort of thing. We go right back to a nightmare scene, a scene set in Batman's weird visions of the future I, I I don't know I don't have notes about this because I watched it in disbelief I also don't so the only thing I have to really preamble our way into this is that um, I recognized it from the, the filter the color filter as the nightmare and um, this is the part of the movie where on my first watch uh, Jamie woke up for 
she she saw the ending monologue and then this happened and she's like what the hell and i was like well yeah this is like two days later (laughs) yeah you know 48 hours have passed no big deal yeah but this is just a weird continuation of this nightmare scenario that that Snyder had has been he teased it in Batman versus Superman and this is just another further scene and it features Jared Leto's the Joker and I could have done without it. I could have done without it. I I didn't like any so like clearly what this is setting up is a, it's an extent it's an extension of the nightmare. Including, like, Lois Lane is dead. Wonder Woman, I think, is dead. There's a different Flash. And also Deathstroke is there. He's not different. He's just older. Okay, there's an older Flash. Deathstroke is there. And also, they're working with the Joker, Jared Leto's Joker, who doesn't say anything particularly interesting. The only real takeaways from this are that he killed Robin, which we know from Bat v. Soup's D of J. Uh, and also that Batman killed Harley Quinn. Right. An eye for an eye. An eye for an eye. So here's what I have to say about the nightmare. Um, they're consistent. They're consistent from, uh, the first visions we get from Batman versus Superman. Cyborg's vision from the Kryptonian ship is consistent. Wonder Woman is dead. Uh, Arthur Curry or, uh, you know, Aquaman has been killed. Uh, And now this scene, this nightmare is consistent with everything we've seen. And there's a reason for that. That's the fifth movie. I think, okay. I, I feel like this is the point where I bring my conspiracy brain in. I'm going to let you say your conspiracy theory, and then I'll pull it apart with this article, this interview, with Vanity Fair, where Zack Schneider explained everything that was going to happen. Okay, so we'll see if if I'm on the same page with Zack Snyder. I'm probably not. He's kind of a galaxy brain guy, and he's, he's pretty cut. Um, but here we go. I think that the Kryptonian ship is not giving him is not giving Cyborg warnings from the mother box. I think that the Kryptonian ship very much is telling him what is literally going to happen. And I think when Barry Allen says that as he approaches the speed of light, time gets weird. I think that that could possibly be extrapolated to mean that when he does the light speed run up to touch the box, it does, in fact, create two realities. Maybe the reality that we continue to see through the end of Justice League is the one where the box lifted itself up out of the water. Maybe while the box is in the water, when he touches it, it brings us to this alternate evil Superman reality where Batman and the Joker have to work together. I think maybe if you were to extrapolate these movies out into the future, you would accept that there were two cleanly bifurcated timelines, one where we bring back Superman who is capable of recalling his past and atoning and one where we do the same thing, but for one reason or another, Dark Side wins. Maybe, now that I'm talking about it, it actually is hinged upon the Flash doing his time stuff at the time. But clearly it's like, 
it, it's two timelines. Like we've had this happen. We've seen visions of this future three times across two different movies. So it must be something that matters. Is that anywhere close? You're, you're actually pretty close. Um, Hell yeah. Instead of there being two timelines, there's just one. No. Every vision, every vision of the nightmare is the future. No. Um, it, it, so the next movie would be Darkseid coming to Earth, and the ultimate outcome would be they fail. Darkseid wins. Lois Lane dies. Superman joins Darkseid under the influence of the uh, the anti-life equation and also just the death of Lois Lane. Lois Lane is the key. That's dumb. That's, I don't like that. It's, it's said in this movie. And then the fifth movie would be that penultimate scene. They're gearing up for a mission, a mission to send Barry Allen back in time to change the outcome of the fourth movie. Um, instead of Lois Lane dying, Batman would sacrifice himself instead, thus changing the outcome. I mean, this is infinitely more interesting than what we're probably going to end up getting, which is nothing. Exactly. This is nothing. Yeah. Uh, well, there's going to be no Snyderverse going forward. This uh, WB executive see the Snyderverse as a good end to the trilogy for Zack Snyder, where originally he had planned five movies that played that would play out exactly how I said, and he said this in an interview, meaning like he's given up. It, it's not going to happen. Ah, yes the um, uh, the the bat the Man of Steel, Batman versus Superman, Dawn of Justice, Justice League, Wonder Woman, Aquaman trilogy. <laughs> yeah, uh, well, I mean, these other side stories could have played into it, but Snyder's original plan was for these five movies. Uh, with side projects, I guess, to keep WB interested, but he wanted to tell just a weird arc of Superman, a weird kind of like hesitant Superman becoming evil and a Batman who is, is deeply traumatized, learning that he's not needed. He's the key to saving the world by by sacrificing himself. And maybe it would have been good. All I know is it would have been different. It would have been something new and, yeah. and under the sun of, of where every DC story has been kind of told before. I mean, considering what we ended up getting was a version of this movie where they tried to course correct it into what every other comic book movie is. And we got a very, very deeply underwhelming thing. I, I think different would have been good. Yeah. I, you know, it would have been at least interesting to see. But uh, what we have now... And these weird subplots, these weird post-post-movie scenes. We get that nightmare scene, which alludes to a fifth movie we, we would never get. We get a scene between Wilson Wade and um, Jesse Eisenberg's Lex Luthor, uh, which would have set up a, a, a standalone Batman versus Deathstroke movie. Um, I did have a joke for that scene. Because uh, throughout the entire movie, Bruce Wayne does not, he doesn't protect his identity, like, at all. So it should come to, no, it, like, Lex Luthor's, like, Batman's identity, and Deathstroke should have, like, interrupted and said, yeah, it's Bruce Wayne, we know. He's been telling everybody for the past four hours. Yeah, he shows up in people's houses and throws batarangs at them, like, we yeah. we know who he is. 
One time so he tried to give me a business card, but he just gave me a batarang <laughs> instead. I'm like, okay, I got it. <laughs> he reached into his wallet. And he said, oh, shit, sorry, sorry, sorry. Forget you, forget you saw that. And I was like, okay, cool. But I remembered I saw it. Like, you don't forget when you see a batarang. Like, right. It's not every day Yeah, you see a batarang. I've had them thrown at me. This one was handed to me. Yeah, like everyone gets it. Like we're we're talking about it constantly. And then we get this very final final scene. Ah, yes. Where Martian Manhunter shows up and introduces himself to Batman and says that he has a vested interest in the planet and he's going to help out, out from here on out. Yeah. Which Sure. Why wouldn't he? What? 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 Why not help during the Steppenwolf fight? I have pretty much nothing to say about Martian Manhunter. I feel like his addition to this movie was like completely unnecessary, even in his epilogue. So this is this is the thing. Zack Snyder did not take a paycheck for this movie because he didn't want to. He did not want to negotiate with executives on anything. He wanted to preserve his creative vision, but he ended up negotiating on one thing and it's this last scene really originally this was supposed to be a green lantern oh what and not just any green lantern this was supposed to be john stewart i don't know anything about green lantern okay well john stewart is the one from the animated justice league um he's like i don't know the third second hal jordan he's like the second Green Lantern, after Alan Scott, who wasn't even connected to the core, blah, blah, blah. A lot of nerdy stuff. John Stewart's uh, a Green Lantern that a lot of people are familiar with just because of the, the DC uh, animated universe uh, Justice League with, you know, Kevin Conroy and all that. Mm-hmm. Uh, he, he would mean something to a lot of people, but WB said, no, we have plans for John Stewart. You can't use him. Don't shoot anything. Oh, wow. Don't shoot a scene. Don't shoot that. Zack Snyder went ahead and shot stuff outside. Like that scene, that last scene is literally shot outside of Zack Snyder's house. Oh, nice. So he shot it and he showed it to him and he's like, it can't be Jon Stewart. We're sorry. Change it. And so he pushed for Martian Manhunter and they're like, okay. And that's literally the only reason why Martian Manhunter is in the movie. But again, knowing that, just take him out of the Lois and Martha scene. Yeah, I mean, like, this is a perfect example. Martian Manhunter is my least favorite thing about this movie, and he's in there entirely due to executives. Leave people alone. You didn't take a paycheck because you didn't want to... You didn't want to negotiate. You didn't want to sacrifice your creative vision. And you ended up budging. You ended up negotiating. So why do it in the first place? Yeah, I I don't know how I feel about that. I It's just a shame. I don't give a shit about Martian Manhunter and I dislike him because of this movie. I mean, a lot of a lot of people really like Martian Manhunter. I can think of two off the top of my head that are they're good friends of ours. So I've um, heard. Yeah, and Martian Manhunter, he's okay. He's fine. He's green. He shapeshifts. He's 
He's John Jones with too many Z's. We get it. Didn't he like say, some people call me the Martian Manhunter? <laughs> but the exact line is, there are some who call me the Martian Manhunter. Which is really confusing because that means there are people he know who know he is Martian. And then for some reason they call him the Manhunter. What does he do? What? what how do you earn that name? You'd think Bruce Wayne would be like, what, are you from Mars? Are you a Manhunter? Yeah, yeah. Bruce Wayne's reaction in that entire sequence just makes no sense. Because, like, he's, again, like, he should be not, if they ever made a, the Ben Affleck standalone Batman movie where Deathstroke knows his identity, he shouldn't be surprised because, again, he doesn't react in a way that Batman would like, who the fuck are you? We're going to fight. He's just like, okay, whatever. Yeah, uh, sure. Thanks. Thanks. I'm Batman. I'll deal whatever. with this later. Yeah. And then the movie ends with uh, Autumn Snyder's favorite song, uh, Hallelujah. Yes. Uh, and, the. Uh, yeah, yeah. The, the the circumstances of necessitating to use that song, I feel like are beyond the emotional breadth of this podcast. Uh, suffice it to say, it's a beautiful gesture. It's a beautiful gesture. And there's a moment in that song at the very, very end where like the piano drops out and it's just the vocalist and it's, it's just raw. It's like, okay. Wow. <laughs> like, yeah. Damn. And then the movie is over, and then the Snyder the Snyder cut is finished. Congratulations, you survived a four hour movie, and you survived a four hour podcast talking about that movie. Yeah, you've made it to the end, which means you get your reward, which is me and Henry deciding whether or not this was a a good movie or not. And I've seen the sentiment echoed throughout the internet where the verdict is kind of it's positive for sure but like positive with an asterisk behind it and the asterisk is like a footnote that's like well it's kind of overly long and a lot of the pacing is is a little slower than you might see in a theatrical cut and and definitely for my wife, the, the epilogue went on two-thirds too long. Uh-huh. Totally, totally on the same page. And and we have our own gripes about it, which we've we've walked through during this episode. Like, there's no way Darkseid would forget where his great prize is. He wouldn't forget the Earth just for getting his ass kicked so hard. And some other things that we talked about. And so... On our six, seven point scale, where the lowest is what gotta have less of it, and yeah, <laughs> the highest has gotta have more of it. Uh huh. What are the other options? Okay, so the positive side is like it, love it, gotta have more of it. The negative side is dislike it, loathe it gotta have less of it and then of course there is the very rare true zero which is we have on 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 bias uh weighted no opinion of the movie right. whatsoever 
And so my verdict is I really enjoy I really enjoyed watching the Snyder cut. Knowing what I know, it's kind of sad. I can't give this a gotta have more of it because I know there will be no more of it. I won't say love it, but I really thoroughly liked this movie. Okay, so you did end up in a positive. Yes, uh, the, the, the the smallest positive I could. But yes, I very thoroughly enjoyed the journey. And I enjoyed getting the opportunity to finally see it in fruition. I I may lobby for something, but I don't know. Because after having talked about the Snyder Cut for so long, and knowing everything that went into it and everything that happened behind the scenes that led to the movie we got, the one proclamation I will make is I don't know what the fuck a good movie is anymore. Uh, I really don't. Like, after watching this movie, I don't... This movie made me question the idea of film criticism more than any movie I've ever seen. Because I can recognize that there are things in this movie that I don't like. And things that I hate. But I also don't know how much those matter. This is... This movie is a life lived exceptionally well with no heirs. Like, what is the end result of this movie? Kind of nothing other than a lot of money uh, went to suicide awareness and prevention. Like, this is not a movie that I see changing cinema because cinema's moved on. This is a correction. This is a reissue. Like we, mm-hmm. this movie is a reissue of history. It is a correction of the record. It is it is a redaction of a thing that people hated, to replace it with something that's honest. And I think, if I weren't, if I was not to rate it as a movie, because I don't know how I could rate it as a movie, I would have to say that I love it, but not in the way one loves a movie but kind of in the way that one can love a person. Even though you don't know them that well, you can love them because they're a person. You know? Like, this is a singular person's artistic desire. And in watching it, I felt proud and sad and interested, and I don't know that I'd make the same movie... (laughs) And I don't know that after having this podcast, I would ever watch it again. But I think I love it. You know, in that regard, I think you've swayed me as an experience, not a movie, not a film. But as a cultural moment. And as an experience in the way that you might be able to love a person you've never even spoken to just for the mere fact that you're sharing the same space and the same air and you can empathize with it and you can understand that it's had its bad days and they have their good days and they make their their decisions and they could be good decisions or they could be misguided decisions. I also love this movie. I also appreciate its existence and have a fondness that it is even a thing that we can talk about today. Because this doesn't happen. 
People don't get second chances to make their movies. There's no incentive for a, a studio to do it. WB really only did it to shut the internet up. It's kind of miraculous that we even got to see the Snyder Cut. And it has its flaws and it has its good parts. But I also love that we got the chance to see it and discuss it and talk about it. So, yeah, I'm changing my answer to also love it. Yeah, because there's not going to be more of it. But you never get this chance. You, The worst thing that can happen is someone who loves the creative process and loves art is to see art taken from someone and turned to someone else's means to convey a different message. And I just love what we got. Sometimes the things we love take a shit on the floor, and we love them anyway. If I looked at this movie just by itself, I don't think I'd like this movie. But for this movie to exist, I think I love it. Uh, so I, I, I'm glad we're in agreement. Absolutely, yeah. If this was a film I saw in a theater, I might hate it. <laughs> yes, yeah, I'm long. right. A four-hour-long movie where, let's be honest... Some stuff happens. But but as an experience and as a moment, and for giving me finally on film a great Flash moment, and hopefully the Flash movie that comes out whenever the fuck it comes out will be just as good and give me more moments. For giving me the first moment of pointing to and be like, that's the Flash I love. I love this movie, and I wish the people who made it and the people who remade it all the best. Hire yeah. Ray Fisher. Hire Ray Fisher. Hire these VFX artists. Give these people work. They they put a lot of work, time, and money into something they love for limited reward. Honestly, a lot of these people committed hundreds, if not thousands of hours to something society considers to be a joke uh, with the express purpose of delivering someone's honest creative vision to you. So appreciate it. For what it is. Yeah, exactly. And I think with that, we've finally reached the very end of our Snyder coverage, probably going forward. Because um, really, this was a rare moment in, in our, our history where Snyder's interests realign, aligned with mine, with the DC, the DC comics kind of thing going on. And uh, I think never the twain shall meet again. And uh, so I might never have a reason to bring up Snyder again. Yeah, I mean, I'm not going to watch Sucker Punch 2. Do you think there's going to be a Sucker Punch 2? I don't know. I, I don't really care for Zack Snyder movies. The weird thing is, neither do I. I had a whole conversation about 300 today and how much I dislike it. Uh, but God bless Zack Snyder for having the chance and doing the work and 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 making this happen yes absolutely thank you zach schneider thank you everyone who who worked to get this finally in front of the eyes of the masses and uh, to all those people who are hashtagging hashtagging restore the Snyderverse, um maybe it's time to hang up our hats i don't know yeah i mean honestly you you really did a lot maybe maybe yeah. rest Pat yourself on the back for getting this made, but at the end of the day, hashtags don't do that all that much. 
they did this. Maybe that's we should we should rest while we're ahead. That's enough. And if the prologue, if the epilogue is any indication, maybe we don't want any more. Yeah, maybe we end two thirds before we should, as this podcast should have done. Uh, we'll never end, John. I'm sorry. Uh, there's going to be a, a Henry cut of every episode as soon as I get my seventy million dollar budget. Oh no, your cuts are so much longer than mine, and I'm, mine have so many more witty quips. I know, and mine have, um... Okay, I guess I hit the time of day where I can't think of jokes. <laughs> well, you know what that means. I feel like, hey, anyone who's listening to this, absolutely thank you for listening to our complete, comprehensive coverage of the Snyder Cut we are done. John's going to tell you a few nifty tricks that you can do to better your life. So if you want to tell us how much you hated this dumb four-hour-long movie about a bunch of people with large deltoids with problems, you can do so by sending us a tweet to ZCPCWHJ on Twitter.com. That stands for Henry. Snyder Cut pays checks without having john stewart <laughs> that's whole not even close to being right uh you can what? also send us an email whj there's no s also z is no zach zach but then you said snyder no that's all one word Oh, okay, perfect. It's hyphenated. Uh, so you can send us an email to zero credits to email at zero credits.net. Also, we have a website. Enter that into your sweet little URL bar. It will take you to our website. And uh, yeah, you can do that. But more importantly, send us an email. Uh, we are on Spotify. Search for Zero Credits Podcast in the Podcast Podcast Spotify Podcast. <laughs> And we'll be there. Add us to your favorite lists of Joe Rogan episodes. I'm so tired. I, conveniently, at the very end of the podcast, my puppy has stopped crying. You can send... Nope. You can find us on Apple Podcasts. Zero Credits Podcast on Apple Podcasts. A great way for people to hear about the show is for you to uh, to like the show. Leave a five-star rating and review that helps us in the algorithm for all those idiots who still use apple products am i right hashtag zune gang but the most important thing is your mouth and its ability to generate words because the word of the mouth is the only way we can survive tell your friends genuinely Reach out to them and tell them, I got my second dose of the vaccine today. I think I have a fever. But if you've been vaccinated, please salivate on your friends and tell them to listen to the Zero Credits podcast. Salivation mandatory. And then you will have an army of vaccinated little sickos running around, sticking people with their little needles, little 5G needles, little little tell them, little, little, little Bill Gates 5G needles. And from everyone here at the Zack Snyder's Dunn Studios, with two puppies, two puppy studios, a zero credits Zack Snyder, two puppy studios, we want to wish you a happy 
week. Ha- happy time. Happy days. Happy. Di- That's a show. Monday, Tuesday, happy days. My puppy doesn't like it when I yell on the podcast. Goodbye. Goodbye, everybody. Now I have to look at this puppy.